You're listening to WLXU 93.9 LPFM Lexington, Lexington Community Radio. And this is Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. I'm an advocate for women's rights in childbirth, founder of Birth Monopoly, co-creator of the Exposing the Silence Project, a national photography project on birth trauma, and former vice president of Improving Birth, the nation's largest consumer-based maternity care advocacy organization. You can learn more about my work at birthmonopoly.com. Today on Birth Aloud, Kristen will interview Jen McClellan. Jen is a published author and a founder of Plus Size Birth and the Plus Mommy blog. She helps people navigate the world of plus-size pregnancy, shares tips for embracing your body, and laughs her way through the adventures of motherhood. Jen has grown a community of over 178,000 via the Plus Mommy Facebook page. Her work has been featured in major publications such as Yahoo Shine, Huffington Post, Everyday Feminism, and International Doula. She authored my plus-size pregnancy guide and has an online course to support people during pregnancy. Jen is also a childbirth educator, skilled patient advocate, professional speaker, wife, and mother to a charismatic seven-year-old. All right. Well, hi, Jen McClellan. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) Thank you. I absolutely adore you. (laughs) (laughs) We got to see each other just a couple of months ago in Albuquerque, which was totally random, but pretty awesome. And I remembered why I like you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Before that, I think we saw each other in Denver. Yeah, you were speaking at a local Colorado conference, but I like adored you from afar and admired your work, especially because that that was when you were working with Improving Birth too, and Birth Monopoly was just getting started. And so we had started connecting and then we got to meet in person and it was like we had known each other forever. (laughs) Even though we have known each other for at least a few years now, I don't know that I actually know your story about how you got into doing the work that you do, which is kind of funny that I don't know that, but (laughs) can you tell me? So my work is around supporting plus-size people during pregnancy and motherhood, and how that started was my own journey to motherhood. I found out that I was pregnant in January of 2010 and my husband worked nights. So he was at work and I went online after I was all excited and told him only the internet is kind of a cruel place when you're not an average size person. So I read that I would develop gestational diabetes. I would have a cesarean birth and thanks to the comment sections, I read that I was a a horrible person for wanting to become a mother as someone who is fat. I don't mind the effort, so I'll say it because I'm talking about myself for someone who's plus size. So it really kind of took me from this place of, well, I've been larger my whole life, but I had never really allowed that to hold me back. And my husband and I were so excited to start a family and I wasn't going to allow what I was reading online to dictate my pregnancy journey, but it was one heck of a way to get, to get things started for sure. Yeah. I really was proactive with my health. I ate healthy. I did water aerobics and prenatal yoga. And five months into my pregnancy, a friend of mine who I was doing water aerobics with, who was also pregnant said that she had hired a doula 
And I had watched the business of being born and I knew a little, and I knew that I wanted a natural childbirth. That was something that I just knew. And I wasn't like a hippie or birthy or natural in any other way. I mean, I really, there was just something to me that told me that this is what I wanted. I wanted full control over my body. I was really concerned about an epidural and people having to move my body for me. And my mom had natural childbirth. So that, that was just what I wanted. So I ended up hiring the same doula that my friend had. And the doula was like, uh, so you want a natural childbirth and you're with this OB, we should talk, which is probably, you know, going outside of her scope. But I will forever be thankful that she did that because she introduced me to the midwifery model of care. And as uh. someone who had been existing in a larger body for most of my life, I had never experienced care the same way that I did from a midwife. My midwife was the first care provider to ever touch my body with compassion. And she had really at the time more belief in my body's ability to have a healthy outcome than I did. And so did my doula. So here were these women that had come into my life and had basically said, okay, you want a natural childbirth? You're already being healthy and doing what you need to do. Now just keep doing it and we're going to support you and answer your questions along this journey. And my, my partner was really supportive too. So all those messages that I'd heard in the beginning that kind of told me this is how it will be, that wasn't coming to fruition. And I knew that there was something inside me that told me that I could have a healthy outcome. And sure enough, I gave birth on my knees after a very healthy pregnancy and it changed everything. You know, not only did I become a mother, but I became a whole new version of the person I once was through understanding that my body was not broken. And that was a huge transformation for me. And there was no going back. <laughs> there was no ever going back to questioning my body, disliking my body, regardless of size. I realized the strength and beauty my body possessed, and that was life-changing. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, I had a similar experience when I experienced midwifery care for the first time. and right? was like, whoa, what? Because it's not really about the provider. It's like they put it right back on you, mm -hmm. and that makes all the difference in the whole world yeah, to think my I'm responsible for my own – I'm responsible. Absolutely. It's up to me. And my appointments went from like 15 minutes to 45 minutes and, and I never felt rushed and I felt like every question that I had, I, or I read online that I'm going to have a big baby and she's like, that's what your hips are for. You know, it's just like those messages of, okay, I'm going to challenge her with something and she is going to put it back on, but your body is capable of doing this and I'll be here to support you along the journey. So yes, exactly. And my son Brayden, when he was four months and I was finally somewhat adjusting to motherhood. Though I joke that he's seven now and I'm still adjusting to motherhood <laughs> and that we never fully adjust to motherhood, I felt compelled to share my story. I knew that there was no way that I could have been the first fat woman to have a healthy pregnancy and a natural childbirth, let alone natural, a vaginal childbirth, for goodness sakes. Like, when we look at, like, beautiful paintings from artifacts, there are all these large women birthing their babies, and we look today on the internet, and only thin Caucasian women apparently get pregnant and give birth. So I knew that it was ridiculous, and I wanted there to be more current stories on the internet um, and positive information. 
and I had no idea what I was doing. I just thought it'd be fun to start a blog. <laughs> I don't even think I knew what a blog was at the time. And I came up with a ridiculously long name, Plus Size Mommy Memoirs. But I started a Facebook page at the same time. And you have to remember, this was almost seven years ago. So Facebook uh-huh. was a completely different platform and it just exploded. So overnight, there was a space on social media for plus size people who were trying to conceive or pregnant or moms that said, hey, I'm not doomed to have XYZ because of my size. Or if I do incur risk because of my size, it doesn't mean that it's because I'm a bad person. And it was that shift in messaging. It was never denying that there are increased risks or pretending that things will always be perfect or have a healthy outcome every time. It was just the shift in the conversation that it doesn't always have to be the way that we're led to believe and our bodies are designed for this and we can have healthy outcomes if we are proactive with our health and if there are increases in risk or if we do develop a complication, that that's okay and we should still be fully supported along our journey to motherhood and not be made to feel ashamed. So it just exploded overnight and then I finally was like, okay, so Plus Size Mommy Memoirs is a really long name and I started the Plus Size Birth um, website with resources and a list of size-friendly doulas and care providers and the journey over these past over six and a half years has been quite the roller coaster, but I became a childbirth educator and a public speaker and an author. And, you know, it's just, it's amazing. I feel like when we step into moments in our lives where there's just this calling and it almost became out of my control. I just had to sit back and keep becoming as educated as possible and as best a spokesperson I could as possible. And at the end of the day, just being a mom that really wanted to change the conversation around how people of size are treated during pregnancy. That's, yeah. That's my story in a nutshell. <laughs> well, I heard you use the word ashamed. And as you were talking, I was thinking it sounded to me like you were removing shame from the equation when we talk about these things. Like, let's talk about the facts, let's talk about people as people, as human beings. And not just as statistics or worst case scenarios or, you know, painting everyone with the same brush of like, well, you're a bad person because you have a certain BMI um, or you are guaranteed to have a certain health outcome because of a a certain BMI. A big Um, changing point in my work was when um, there was this article in the New York Times, obese, pregnant, and in danger. And I wrote a response to it that you helped me with brilliantly. And then before I, I knew did, it, yes, yes, you did. I, I don't remember that. <laughs> awesome. Before, before I knew it, I was on HuffPost Live with the OB that had written this article, and she was very defensive in the beginning. And I just kind of slowed down the conversation and I said, We both want the same thing. We both want healthy moms and healthy babies. I just think we're going about this in two different ways and that shame is not an effective tool and making people feel as if they're in danger. And the reality is people are going to continue to get pregnant, right? So, I mean, there are some care providers that recommend abortions for people of size, which is horrific. And I think if we, if we talked about that a little bit more, then maybe people would calm down a little bit and say, no, 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 we want to support all people, you know, along their journey, if their journey is to become a parent. But it's almost like, is that, is that what we want? Are we scaring people into just 
never becoming parents because that's a lot of the messages that people are receiving. But if they are pregnant, yeah, it is. It is like get in shape first and then get pregnant. Yeah, like you see a lot of that. Which people of size are pretty much expert dieters who have been on a yo-yo of weight loss for their whole lives because it's a billion dollar industry, the weight loss industry is, that really takes advantage of people as opposed to helping people from a health perspective. But that's a whole nother episode. (laughs) (laughs) Health in every size. Google it if you're listening. (laughs) So to go back to that conversation that you had with that doctor on HuffPost Live, can you describe a little bit about sort of her approach that you went, hang on, let's slow this down and let's, let's get a little more specific about what you're saying and, and hear your perspective on it. Yeah. I mean, she was just like, I was taken aback because my hands were like shaking. I'm on HuffPost Live, like underneath the table, my hands are shaking, but I'm like trying to like smile and give a great presentation. That is totally understandable. <laughs> right? But she was basically like, well, yes, I've been on your website and I think a lot of the information you provide is great. And then, and then the conversation really, the whole thing shifted and it really became more about, well, how do we, how do we support people in a way that is positive? You know, and outside of that specific interview, one easy way that I break down changing the conversation, shifting the conversation is if we look at something like the statistics for gestational diabetes and we're looking, depending upon someone's BMI, but between a 10 and 15% increase in risk for people of size to incur gestational diabetes. So how I frame that is, hey, you have an 85 to 90% chance of not developing gestational diabetes. Here's what we can do to support you along your journey. It's as simple as that, as opposed to focusing on the negative. Let's focus on the positive because when we scare people and when we shame people, we have plenty of studies to show that it is not effective in healthcare. It's probably not effective. I mean, look at us parents when we treat our children, positive reinforcement works nine times out of 10, right? So when we shame people of size within healthcare, the studies show that people are less likely to receive routine medical care and more likely to gain weight. And that shame is just really not an effective tool. So let's present the facts, the evidence-based information in a way that is positive as opposed to negative. And then people are more receptive, like, oh, okay, well then I'd like to work with a nutritionist or do you have a meal plan I could follow or whatever it is or or huh, how can I be active? What what oh water aerobics that I've never even thought of that. You know, like having those conversations in a way that isn't well, you better eat good and be healthy or otherwise you're going to get X, Y, Z. And then the assumption also that people of size have such high increased risk. I mean, we're not looking at 50% risk of developing gestational diabetes, but it's almost presented as a 90% risk of developing gestational diabetes. So there's a lot of misinformation out there that a lot of people buy into. Yeah. And it sounds like when you say it, when you say it in that sort of shame-based way, I know that like my personal reaction to being approached that way is then why bother? Right. Exactly. Like I would just give up. It sounds, um, it sounds really difficult and obviously I'm not going to get any support. So why bother? And if this is already going to happen, then I might as well eat something that's far more convenient than go out of my way or or whatever it is. And, And that's where we break down the midway freak model of care too is, well, what is someone's even accessibility to healthy food? And, 
and to be active, especially as a person of size, you know, a lot of gyms are my fields. Yes. Thank you. You can walk (laughs) through it just fine one day. And the next day someone's laughing at you under their breath. So what are some other options or what are some facilities like recreational centers overall tend to be way more body positive for people of all sizes and ages too. So what are some alternatives that we can think of instead of like, oh, well, if I'm going to be healthy, then I have, or quote unquote healthy, I'm going to have to pay all this money for a gym and I'm afraid I'm going to be shamed. Well, hey, why don't you just start a walking group with friends at, at work? Or if you're a stay-at-home mom, start a walking group with friends. And oh, if you live somewhere where the climate's really cold, a lot of malls open early and you can walk through the mall. It's just talking a little bit deeper and taking a little mm-hmm. bit more time. And then also for birth professionals listening, not making the assumption that your client or patient isn't already doing these things, that they're not already proactive with their health, that they're not already physically active. And and that's where we create a lot of damage too when care providers just say, oh, well, you're going to have to cut out your Pepsi habit. Well, if someone's told that and they don't even like soda, then they're not really going to listen to much else that is said because you're already making an assumption about their health. Just to back it up really a little bit, How many women are we talking about when we're talking about plus size or obese women? And also, will you explain to me the difference in that terminology if there is one? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) So I know you and I have had this talk too, and it it is when we really look at the the data and the statistics, especially in the United States, 60% of people in their childbearing years are classified as overweight and obese. So it's a huge, huge majority of people that are classified. And when we look at it, it's based upon the BMI chart. The BMI was created in like the 1800s and was never used for the intention it is today. But it is the standard that most care providers go to to classify overweight, underweight, and obese. And obese is anything over 40. 35 to 40, it depends on which chart you look at. Once we hit 35 in a BMI, we start to see more increases in like gestational diabetes and that kind of stuff. So a lot of people look at it at 35 for obese. As far as the language plus size, I use that language within my work because frankly, the word obese is really offensive to a lot of people. It's like calling someone over the age of 35 geriatric during their pregnancy. It's the exact same thing. So the actual definition of plus size really varies from person to person. But if we're looking at classifying someone for pregnancy, if we want to say plus size pregnancy, I would say a BMI over 35 is a okay. really clear cut way to look. Which you're talking about as many as 60%. Less people. than that because that would be obese. And when we say 60%, oh, right. okay. we looked at overweight and obese. But it, it, you know, it depends. A lot of care providers coming from Colorado and now living in Albuquerque, you know, there's a birth center that does a BMI cutoff there at 30. And I remember talking to this person and saying, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Like kind of biting my tongue, which is like, yeah, I realized I was ruling out about like a third of my clientele. And uh, I was like, oh, so. So they decided on that BMI. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, And so some states have regulations around home birth or right. birth centers. Um, but a lot of care providers set their own right, you know, right. safeguards. So we can look at some care providers are classifying people of size as being 
quote unquote high risk based upon their BMI alone. However, ACOG does not say that 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 should be the standard of care. And in fact, I've presented to ACOG and looked at them and said, please don't ever classify a high BMI alone as high risk because then we so limit people's options during labor and birth. So across the board, if someone does develop gestational diabetes, then they're high risk and it changes and it limits their options. But that means that they've developed gestational diabetes and we need to be looking out for a lot more things and they need to have additional screening and additional testing. Absolutely. But we don't want to make assumptions off the back that just because someone is of size, they, they will incur things that changes their pregnancy to be high risk. I mean, I can think that applies um, to a lot of things in maternity care, I think, right. where we kind of mix up the, the red flag with the actual thing. <laughs> Yeah. And I feel like we talked about earlier. Or the risk factor. I yeah, the say. risk factor. And yeah. once you're told something, then you believe it. So if you're told you're high risk, then you really believe that you are high risk. Mm-hmm. And for some people that makes them feel empowered. And for a lot of people, it makes them feel defeated from the start. So a lot of the work that I do is encouraging people to connect with size-friendly care providers. Well, that's, I was just about to ask you about that, actually. Um, A minute ago when you were saying that some out-of-hospital birth attendants set slightly lower limits Mm -hmm. on BMI, and I was thinking, actually, if someone is setting a lower limit, I would probably like self-select out of their practice just because it would be an indication to me that they don't know how to work with plus-size people. Absolutely. Um, You can talk about this a little bit, I think, is how how much does treatment differ from provider to provider? Actually, um, let's go to a quick break. And when we get back, we can talk about that because I think we might need a couple more minutes on that one. Great. Okay. This is Birth Aloud with my mom, Kristen Lusketri. My mom, Works at Birthman <laughs> This program is supported by attorney Susan Jenkins, a national advocate for midwives and birth activists, specializing in business, governmental, and political issues related to birthing rights and the practice of midwifery. She can be reached at area code 866-686-1348. Would you like to support Birth Aloud Radio? Please contact us at birthaloudradio at gmail.com. You're listening to WLXU 93.9 LPFM Lexington, Lexington Community Radio. And this is Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. Okay, we're back with Jen McClellan from Plus Size Birth. And we were just about to talk about. The difference in providers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you and I actually had an interesting conversation. We were hanging out in Albuquerque about the work that you do around informed consent and making sure that people are receiving that and how that really does vary from care provider to care provider. And then we talked about my work, wanting to make sure that people are connected with care providers who are size friendly and how that switches around. And, And you had made the comment of, well, if someone is providing informed consent and, you know, individualized care, then often they're a great care provider that you want to connect with. And wouldn't that mean that they're also, you know, maybe size friendly? 
And the difference is, is that as individuals, we have our own biases. So even if they are the most wonderful care provider that grows through everything and is the right fit for someone, that doesn't mean that they might not have a, a personal bias against yes. people of size and then make assumptions. Well, so, hold on. Let me just say this. It's not just about personal biases. We have much larger biases than that. So we each have biases, biases that we're not even aware of, including when we're talking about plus size people. So it's not about demonizing anybody or necessarily even targeting individuals, but it really is. If you are plus size friendly, it's almost like you're going against the cultural bias. And so yeah. that would be kind of an exception. Absolutely. Or, or even that you're aware of a bias if you have one. Right, you, right, right. right. You've worked yeah. through it and you process that bias. Absolutely. But, you know, when we look at care providers, there's a, there's a wide range. And it's, so how do I define someone as, as size friendly? First of all, they have, they've addressed that personal bias and they've worked through it, or they are size-friendly. They don't classify people as high-risk based upon their BMI. They have the proper equipment to work with plus-size people, and by that, I mean a larger blood pressure size cuff, uh, especially for home birth. If, if you're working with people of all size and you don't have a thigh adult cuff, then you can do a real disservice to the people that you're serving if they are of size. Um, a larger speculum can be a little more comfortable for people of size, you know, and within medical facilities, a scale that goes up to a certain weight. Uh, most labor and delivery beds are uh, 500 pounds, so that serves most people. You know, when we're talking about working with people of size, it's a little harder on the radio because I can't do a visual, but, you know, we address that huge 60%. And, and most often, it, we're looking at people who weigh under 300 pounds, right? If someone weighs over five, 300, 500, 400, whatever, they're, they're a much smaller segment, and, and then there are different needs there. But when we're looking at the majority of people that are being served by doulas or midwives, there aren't that many differences, right? So blood pressure cuff, speculum, a scale, um, gowns, hospital gowns are awful to begin with, but you know, a gown that would fit someone. We can go in through more nuances in medical facilities, like if there is a person of size and they offer water birth, some facilities are required to have, you know, a lift to make sure people can get in and out. But, but when I talk about serving people of size, it's, it's actually really the majority of people that we see who are pregnant, who we wouldn't even necessarily classify them as morbidly obese, but because of the BMI, they are morbidly obese. So they are treated in a certain way because of their BMI sets them on a trajectory that limits their options and that makes people make assumptions about their abilities. And then there are people my size and larger because I'm a, you know, a much larger, visibly larger person that still has the ability to have healthy outcomes. It just might look a little different. So yeah, it's really someone who is a care provider who has worked through their bias, works yeah. with people individually, has the right equipment, and the way I really sum that up pretty quickly and easily and visually is a chair without arms. Because when we have chairs with arms, we basically say that if you fit in here, then you're welcome. If you don't fit, then you're not welcome. Um, and, you know, a lot of people don't fit within chairs within arms. So just walking into any medical facility or even for me, any restaurant can be sometimes challenging. So making sure that there is a place for people to feel welcome and that's simply allowing them to sit down. 
Yeah, that's huge. That's like, that's a really hugely symbolic and literal image. On my community, I have a Facebook following of 178,000 now, and I've done polls. And when we look at, you know, people's weight and the majority who self-identify as plus size and who have gone through kind of a roller coaster with care providers, we're looking at people, you know, 180 pounds to, you know, 280 pounds. So Mm -hmm. I, I really want to shift the visual that we have of plus size pregnancy as the news reports with very large people without heads, you know, and, and really show that this is normal and that, you know, the majority of people are now of size and we need to treat people as normal and we need to treat people who are shown without their heads in the news, you know, just as as well. I, I don't know if it's coming across right, but just to really realize that this is a part of our culture and always has been and mistreating people based only upon their size gets us nowhere. It actually only makes people feel worse about themselves. And that the majority of people who are classified as obese and morbidly obese during pregnancy are a huge, huge percentage. And we're not having this conversation and we need to be. I remember a while back, you had shared with me some comments that some plus size women shared with you that had come from their care providers. And I remember that the way you shared them was these women didn't even realize that this was harmful, inappropriate, unkind. Yeah. So I'm thinking about, you know, people who are listening at home and I can relate to this on on a level with the people I work with because I hear a lot of, well, but my doctor said they would let me do this if this happens. And, you know, kind of in a like, oh, my doctor's so nice. And, you know, granted they said this other thing, but he's really just looking out for me. And you want to go, actually, that's a big red flag. Yeah, the minute you say let me, I might right, right. <laughs> red flag going off. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, can you um, give me a couple of examples of comments like that that oh, you sure. hear from women who I think you understand from your perspective, yikes, that's yeah. a little bit of a red flag. But we might just be so used to hearing yeah. that it wouldn't even, you know, little thing like so. We want people who are of size to be tested twice for gestational diabetes once very early on because there is an increased risk. And early on, we're really looking to see if someone's, you know, already diabetic or pre-diabetic. But then further on into their pregnancy to actually be tested for gestational diabetes. So that that's normal and that's not a red flag. But I hear often like, oh, my care provider is really surprised that I haven't developed gestational diabetes yet. I hear that. Or that's taken to another step of I'm being tested at every appointment now for gestational diabetes, which I'm like, whoa, you know, and and I have to be very mindful of, you know, there are boundaries that I have and I'm not going to tell someone, oh my gosh, your care providers, you know, that's not my place. But I can say, you know, here's some evidence-based information or well, in this setting, though, you can say, whoa, on this show, yes, <laughs> I want you to say, like, what are the things that make you go, yeah. whoa? Yeah. yeah. Let's look at what, what you should be tested for. The story I tell often is of a woman named Hillary who was told on her first prenatal visit that she needed to have a cesarean birth because of her size. And she weighed 211 pounds. So it's it's not unheard of for people being told that because of their size, there's a recommendation for a cesarean birth. And, you know, no, like, okay, if there are other reasons, if there is, if if someone does have gestational diabetes or we're worried about fetal macrosomia, 
that doesn't even automatically mean that they should be having a cesarean, but those are more things that we maybe are talking about, not just based upon size alone. I also hear very often, and people are always shocked by this, that uh, someone's told their vagina is too fat to birth their own baby. And that's another reason why they should consider having a cesarean. And it's, it's mind boggling to me that a care provider could even say something like that. If we want to look at the research, yes, we see smaller, slight, slight increases for shoulder dystocia and soft tissue dystocia, but nothing to say that a person of size has so much fat built up in their vagina, they can't birth their baby. And the emotional impact of someone being told this is lifelong. I mean, you can't just be told this and walk out of the doctor's office and shake it off. Like there's no amount of Taylor Swift that will get rid of being told something this horrific. Well, I mean, it's almost like saying you're a danger to your baby. Absolutely. Your your vagina is unsafe. And then how, how's that going to impact their relationship with their body, the the intimacy with a partner, how how they talk about their bodies, how their kids learn to talk about their bodies. I mean, that is the damage that is being done. So I'd say anytime someone feels that something was said in a way that made them feel bad about themselves, that's not okay. Anytime someone is told something that really makes them pause and question, like, that doesn't even make sense to me. Like, how can my vagina be that, that, you know, it's like, okay, well then let's pause. And anytime those things are being said, it crushes me. It devastates me and it continues to happen. Well, well, I'm sure there are care providers listening who think, well, then what am I, what am I supposed to say? They, they do have increased risk. What am I supposed to pretend that everything's hunky-dory and pretend that everything's going to be fine. What would you say to the people who basically say, look, we're not here to coddle people. We're here to make sure that we have healthy moms and healthy babies, or maybe I should just say healthy babies in this case. What, What would you say to those people? I'd say that there is not one single plus size person that doesn't already know that they are of size. It's like, that's the damn elephant in the room. It's not that care providers have to tiptoe and, oh, what are we gonna say? It's like, people already know, they're sitting on your table, they are aware that they are a person of size. So let's get that out of the way and let's just have an honest and keyword, compassionate, conversation with people because the reality is up until even I had met with my midwife every conversation I'd had with the care provider revolved around weight but it never helped me I know I'm fat that doesn't change anything but the difference was my midwife talked about nutrition in a way that was real and in a way that was obtainable and you know ACOG recommends that people of size work with a nutritionist and I do too but a size friendly nutritionist right So I think pregnancy is an opportunity for people to change the relationship they have with their body, especially for all pregnant people, but for pregnant people of size, learning about food in in a different way, in a way that's not, Uh it's not full of shame and you can't restrict calories when you're pregnant because you can actually do harm. So it's this amazing opportunity to shift. So what I want care providers to do is have a really great list of nutritionists that they believe would be of good support to people of size, to have 
recommendations for physical activity because we know that these two things are actually going to decrease their increased risk that are things that people can do to just have the compassionate conversation of hey there are some increased risks because of your size but together we're going to do everything we can to reduce your risk and to support you along this journey and if something comes up then i'm going to be here for you and here are some amazing resources how does that feel compared to uh, well, because you're of size, we're going to do all this testing and this and that, like you're providing the exact same information in two different ways. And frankly, if you're a care provider that doesn't want to talk to people in a compassionate manner, then maybe you should not provide patient centric care. And there are many other roles within the healthcare industry that you can make radical advancements and wonderful work in, but bedside manner is is critical. And, you know, I tell midwives who are home birth midwives who don't feel comfortable working with people of size, then good, have BMI restrictions. Blast them on your homepage. Say that you don't work with people about that size. Do people a favor because if you're not comfortable touching, palpating, moving, supporting larger bodies, then you are doing harm by taking on those clients. And same thing for OBs and midwives working in the medical model of care in a medical facility too. What are your top tips for those people? For someone who's listening and goes, wow, I've never thought about this from this perspective or in this much detail. I want to know more. I consider myself to be a compassionate care provider, but I need to know more. What would yeah. you tell them? Like actions they can take. So one action you can take is, is looking at a lot of medical groups now are providing courses on how to work with people of size. I'd like to look at their curriculum, but at least they're being developed, right? And at least we're talking about language. The language we use when we talk about people's bodies can do harm. So not calling people obese. And that's a shift for some people in the medical community. You know, I just presented at the National Health Institute and that was one thing I harped on was language. So I think it starts with how can I be the best medical professional for people of size looking into resources um, and being nourished has a really great course on being a size friendly practitioner. And I can give you their link to add to your show notes. Um, yep. It's a whole course done by a nutritionist and a therapist. I, I really believe starting with taking a step back and going into your lobby, going into your lobby and sitting down and looking around. Is there a place for people of all sizes to sit? What are the materials that you have out? I went to an urgent care in Southern California on vacation and there was so much like Botox and plastic surgery stuff out. I was like, are you kidding me? Like people are sitting here hacking and you're telling them that not only are they sick, but there's something physically wrong with their outward appearance. You should do something about those wrinkles. Oh, gosh. Um, but it is true. Like, how often do care providers actually spend time in their lobbies? So start from the beginning and work your way through. What does my scale go up to? And also, weight can be very triggering for people of all sizes who have a history of eating disorders. And that's a huge percentage of people, actually, right? So do I offer the ability for people to have options when they're being weighed from standing backwards on the scale to reassuring them that I won't say the number or my staff won't say the number out loud unless they want to, to even being okay if people don't want to be weighed and working out something. Maybe they weigh at home and bring you the number, but, but being prepared for triggers. 
If you have people undress, are there gowns that fit them comfortably? Do you have a large blood pressure cuff? All of those things are where to start. Um, if you're a doula, one of the tools that you need to be very aware of is a birth ball. If you got it at Target or Walmart, it probably doesn't go above 250 pounds weight limit. I've never heard of a birth ball bursting on someone who's pregnant and I never want to, right? Oh. So Amazon is an amazing resource with birth exercise balls that go up to like 500 to a thousand pounds, right? For about the same price. So being aware of the tools that you're providing, being aware of the language that you're using, people of size with the World Health Organization, ACOG, are recommended not to gain more than um, 11 to 20 pounds. And that's mainly broken down by saying don't gain more than 15 pounds. And in that pregnancy. Can, in, during pregnancy, thank you. And that can be really overwhelming. And that's why I spend so much time like, okay, nutritionists and talking about nutrition and physical activity. But I think it's really important to have that conversation, right? Like we need to talk about weight, but we need to do it in a way that doesn't make people feel ashamed. We need to talk about it. So I hear from people that are, I'm so afraid to go to the doctor because if I gain one pound, they're going to yell at me to, oh, my care provider never talks about weight. This is great. And I'm like, let's meet somewhere in the middle. Let's <laughs> have this be part of, part of the conversation of, hey, you know how we said from the beginning that I want to do everything to have a healthy outcome? Part of that is really watching weight gain. And, and just to let you know, uh, plus size people during pregnancy often don't gain as much weight as your friend or celebrities we see on the news. And it's not uncommon for people to even lose weight during pregnancy. That's not something we want to work towards. But if that happens, then that can be perfectly healthy too. No restricting yourself or dieting, but just naturally being physically active and eating whole healthy foods can result in weight loss for some people of size. And let's just focus on, you know, how's nutrition going? How are you being physically active? Spending the time to have those conversations. We know that we're going to do everything we can if your patient is being honest with you. And if you're being honest with them, then hopefully they're being honest with you. All of these things help to reduce risk. Yeah. Well, to go back to the, the compassion element, which I think is so critical in all of maternity care. Right. Um, I think one thing that sometimes we don't think about is why is this person overweight? Yes. Now, let me explain what I'm saying here. <laughs> Earlier you said, you know, sometimes people just assume, well, you must sit at home on your couch all day drinking Pepsi. Mm -hmm. In reality, we know that there are uh, certainly health conditions, medical conditions. There are also things like trauma histories Absolutely. and sexual abuse histories that might make it more likely that someone is going to be of size later in life. Just knowing that, I think, is a really important piece when we're looking at people as human beings and not like, you're doing something wrong because of your weight, but rather looking at them as a whole person, as someone who maybe has been struggling with all kinds of not just physical issues, but emotional issues from say childhood sexual abuse. And her weight is merely a symptom of a much bigger problem that she really needs support around. And the last thing you want to do is come down on someone. It's, you know, like you said, it's not like, it's not like people don't know, you know, they, they, they are aware of their size, but I think Absolutely. really looking at them as whole people and you know what I mean? I totally agree with you. And I feel like that's a very important conversation, but I also 
I feel the need to say, even yeah. if someone does sit on the couch and drinks Pepsi 24-7, they still have the right to be treated with compassion. Right. We've yeah. gone down the path of, oh, well, because this happened to her, then she's an okay fatty. But if she's just doing this to herself, then she's not an okay fatty. And it's that, it just, it enrages me. And I know that's not what you're saying. I just had to bring that up. Yeah. But this idea of who's allowed to be in a larger body and who's yeah. not allowed to be in a larger body. And as we push towards being more inclusive and respectful as a society, then we need to meet people where they're at absolutely and support them where they're at but just support people we all come in different sizes and shapes and that's why yeah. I love that midwifery model of care of meeting people where they're at individually and awesome. supporting them along their path so yes yeah. and, and that was actually something that I did bring up at NIH was history of sexual assault and we do see increases in people of size we also now it brought up, okay, well, moms, once they're postpartum or, or people, once they're pregnant, well, then we should do weight loss surgery because that's going to solve the problem. Wait, what? They won't be fat anymore. Encouraging people that? after they've given birth to have weight loss surgery. Care providers are recommending this because now that's the end all be all. But in reality, what we're seeing is higher rates of now alcoholism with people who have done weight loss surgery and also regaining all the weight. So that's a danger too now of, okay, well, we're going to solve this problem of people being of size by cutting part of their organ or treating them as we're prescribing anorexia to people of size as a solution. As a cure for. Yeah. Yeah. And it's creating so much damage as opposed to, why don't we look at what happened to this person during their pregnancy when they couldn't focus on weight loss. They couldn't focus on restriction and they really had to focus on health. They ate healthy. They were physically active. They were in tune with their body. They were learning how to appreciate their body. That holds power. There's so much knowledge there. And, and that's when we talk about health and, and people down the road and motherhood or parenthood. That's really where I want to get back to is why don't we talk about how we treat our bodies when we're pregnant and implementing mm -hmm. that into how we continue to treat our bodies as well. But there is this, let's shame people and let's do these things to change them. And it's not going to change us. But what, what can change us is the way we're treated by the medical community can change the way we feel about our bodies in a way that impacts how we teach our kids about nutrition, how we teach our kids about loving themselves. We want to talk about the obesity crisis. It, it doesn't get fixed with me and it maybe doesn't even get fixed and maybe it isn't even a crisis, but we can look at these other generations of, of how kids are taught about nutrition and how they're taught about food and that the relationships is, to their bodies. Yeah. As opposed to condemning and shaming the parents now. So we're just going on all kinds of tangents today. But it's a much broader, it's a much broader conversation. And I, I live in two worlds. I live in birth advocacy and then body love advocacy. And, and I can't not as a person of size existing in this society who last year I did personally experience a care provider horribly fat shaming me. And so here I was spending all these years, you know, advocating, doing this work and helping people who had been through it. And then I was in their shoes and even as an advocate, I could hardly find my voice because when it happens to you, it's so 
damaging. It's so awful. And as a result, I have gained more weight, you know? So it's like, I, I literally experienced it. And then was that statistical outcome? That's why I want to say, you know, even if people are making other choices, they still deserve to be treated with compassion and to meet, really meet people where they are at along their journey. Yeah. Well, we're almost out of time. So I think that was a, that was a very nice little summary statement there. <laughs> what are you up to right now? Like what's your, what's your big project going on? Well, I started off by saying I wrote a blog, Plus Size Mommy Memoirs, and then that evolved into Plus Size Birth. But as you can tell, a lot of my work right now really is that passion around treating people of size with respect, not just during pregnancy. And that has been a huge focus of mine. So I'm launching plusmommy.com, which is focused on body love and motherhood. Um, And that's where my head and heart is right now. But it will always always be with plus size birth as well. But I feel like separating the two will only make plus size birth stronger because then people just have a sole focus around trying to conceive pregnancy and then immediate postpartum um, Uh or people of size. So for people who are trying to conceive, pregnant, care providers, doulas, all that information is housed there. And then plus mommy can really go where all my tangents have gone today around treating people with respect and, and how do we raise body positive kids and how do we look at health and nutrition in a, in a different way and how do we stop existing in a world that, that does make us feel ashamed and badly about ourselves. So basically I don't sleep much anymore, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but I've been, I've been diving deep into all of my old articles from plus size birth and updating them and providing more links. And it's been really amazing. I'm at, I'm almost done and I'm at 173 articles. So, um, yeah, it's for you. Yeah. A huge dive. I think, yeah, when it's all said and done, including the ones that I pulled aside from body love, it's over 200 articles. So a lot of, a lot of information, but at the end of the day, if you are a pregnant person listening or someone who wants to become pregnant, know that you are deserving of compassion and dignified care and connect with a size-friendly care provider. If you are a doula or care provider listening in or any type of professional, just please meet people where they are at. If, if you have biases to work through, there are so many great resources and I'll, I'll give Kristen a great website that you can kind of address your own bias with people of size. I think that's really important. I do activities now on that when I do public speaking. And meet people where they're at and support them and then also be a voice. When you see those negative comments on Facebook threads or online respond, (laughs) you know, say people of all sizes can have healthy outcomes and shaming people is not an effective tool. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) I I have learned so much from you over the years and I've just learned a little bit more (laughs) in the last hour and I really, really, really appreciate it. And I love your attitude and your outlook and I love the way you treat people. Well, thank you. And I feel the same way about you. So thank you for what you're doing. You're so sweet. All right. Thank you so much, Jen. Bye. This has been Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. If you'd like to reach me with questions or show ideas or anything else, you can email me at birthaloudradio at gmail.com. Thanks for being here with us. We'll be back every other Sunday at 1 p.m. on WLXU. We'll see you next time.